it's going to be important to you to find Psalm 119 in your Bible. Psalm 119. It's pretty easy to find. It's right in the very middle of your Bible if you've got a folding Bible. And of course, if you have one of these Bibles, you just go there. So let me pray, and then we will uh, look into the whole subject of knowing God's will. How can I discover God's will? Father in heaven, we thank you that your spirit is powerful. We thank you that you give eternal life freely to all who believe. And more than that, you make us new on the inside. I want to pray for the community that is so near to my heart, new on the inside people at Church of the Open Door. And I also pray for my friend David Anderson as he teaches through the book of Hebrews this morning. I pray that you would encourage them by your word, lives would be changed. And then, Father, I pray for the minutes that we're going to have together here at Antioch. I I do really appreciate the privilege of sharing this message from my heart uh, to this church that is also close to my heart. And I'm just praying for uh, you to be true to what you uh, always promised, and that is your, your spirit would make your word clear to us. And we ask this in The name of the one who washed us from our sin in his own blood, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. In about, I think it was 1970, I was sitting in the back seat of an old beater Chevy. And I was on I-5. And we were heading to a place called Arrowhead Springs in the mountains of San Bernardino. And we were going to a Campus Crusade for Christ conference. And there were four of us in the car. I was in the back seat. And I was a brand new, right off the streets Christian. And the two guys in the front seat, one was named Phil, another was named Jim. And they were, by Jesus movement standards, really, really mature Christians. Which means that they had been a Christian about three weeks. And this is all new to me. So I'm driving down there with these guys, and and these were guys who were discipling me. And we're in the mountains uh, coming into the L.A. basin. And Phil turned to Jim, and he said, Jim, ask God where we should eat lunch. And I was like, whoa. Are you kidding me? What? A concept. I'm like looking out the window and wow, we're gonna, he's gonna tell us exactly where to eat lunch. So, Jim, man, he prayed his heart. Father, we know you're in heaven. We know that you have something for us today, and we're just asking you to tell us where to eat lunch. I'm in the back seat praying with one eye open, like, are these guys for real or is this really what they're doing? Sure enough, they prayed. And uh, Jim said, we're, take, the, take this turn off, we're going to go right there. So we pulled into this place, and I was in awe that God had chosen this place for us to eat lunch. And I walk in, and food was lousy. The service was horrible. I was going to use the restroom, I decided not to because it was so filthy I knew that I would catch something, so I just decided to cross my, law, my legs and make it 
to San Bernardino. And I remember thinking, you know, if this is, if this is God's will for us to eat lunch here, I'm just wondering why he didn't lead us. If I were God, I'd lead you to a better place. I realized since then uh, that this is a hot topic among Christians, how to discover God's will, how to discover uh, the will of God. We all face decisions. As I speak often on uh, college campuses and speak to young people and speak at conferences uh, around the world, I find that whether it's someone who's a brand new Christian or someone who's a seasoned missionary in Tanzania, they're going to come up to me or they're going to sit with me around a table at a meal and they're going to go, hey, I'm facing this choice. What do you think I should do? Should I live in this neighborhood or that neighborhood? Should I go to this church or should I go to that church? Should I have this career or that career? Should I marry this person or should I not marry this person? These are the choices we face. And there are two camps when it comes to discovering God's will. The first is what I would call the dot camp. The dot camp. The dot camp, that's those who say God has a perfect dot for you to be on. And you need to discover that dot. Not only will God tell you uh, who to marry, but he'll make it so clear that you'll know you're on the dot. Uh, the other camp is the circle camp, the circle camp. So I call this the circle and the dot, the circle and the dot. The circle camp says to us that all you need to do is stay within the prescribed will of God. Just do what the Bible tells you. And, and, and don't worry about who, whom you should marry or where you should live or where you should eat lunch. The dot camp says, kind of live in this mysterious. So I call it the circle and the dot. And over the years, as I was thinking about this and vacillating between both camps, sometimes I'd think I want to be on the dot camp, and some way, sometimes I think I'd want to be in the circle camp. I began, as I was studying God's word, I would find very familiar verses, extremely familiar verses. And through the exposition of God's word, meaning teaching it verse by verse over 40 years, eight of these passages really, really stood out. And I realized, if I was reading them for the first time, this is a God's guidance verse. This is telling me to expect God to guide me. So is it the circle or the dot? I think it is both. And I was taking a young man, a guy that I had discipled for a number of years, and this was about seven years ago, I was taking this guy through these eight principles. I was on the phone with him, he said, what do I do next? And I was giving him these eight principles. And he said, Ed, 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 he was, well, slow down, slow down. You need to put this in a book. And so I did. The book is called The Trail. If we could uh, get that picture of the trail, there we go. It's an allegory, the circle and the dot, now the trail. Eight simple truths to help you discover God's will. Eight simple truths to help you discover God's will. 
What I have found is and discovered is that both the circle and the dot crowd are right. That there are those principles on God's, on God's guidance that tell us very clearly that we should make sure that we are in the circle of God's prescribed will. But there are also those passages that encourage us to relate to God and with his community in such a way that we can live with confidence that we are in the will of God, not only his circle will, but his dot will. And I'm here to tell you that I've been applying these to my life for all of these decades, and I can say very clearly, and without reservation, I know for sure that God guided me to marry the love of my life, Judy Chrisman, now Judy Underwood. Seems to be working out 43 years, and I still love her with all my heart. I know for sure that God was guiding me of all the places that I could go to school. I know for sure that God guided me to UC Santa Barbara. I know for sure of all the places that I could serve as a young lieutenant in the United States Army. I know for sure God guided me to Katerbach, Germany. I know for sure that when it was time for me to get out of the army and go to seminary, I know for sure that God was guiding me to Dallas Seminary. I know for sure that God, the only one I'm in doubt about, Judy says this is true, I still wonder about why he guided us to Detroit, Michigan for three years, but we're going to talk about that later in heaven, I guess. Really, God, Detroit? I know for sure that he guided me back to the West Coast to plant a church in the Cascades. I also know for sure that 17 years ago, he guided me to Church of the Open Door, and I know for sure that he guided me here today uh, and when Ken and I were having this conversation, that this is where I need to be. I know that God wants me on this dot right here, right now, standing at this place, teaching this to uh, Antioch. I'd love for you to live with that confidence. These eight principles revolve around two questions. The first is the circle question. The circle question. And the circle question is, am I the type of Christian who would recognize God's guidance? That's the first question we should ask. Am I the type of Christian who would recognize God's guidance? This is the first question. I'll, get to I'll talk to people all the time and they're thinking, I don't, should I live in this neighborhood or that neighborhood? Uh, should I go to this school or that school? Is this the person I should marry? Oh, what should my career be? And, and I'll begin to probe because that's what disciples and mentors do. And I'll start asking them questions about their life. And they will reveal to me that there is a part of their life totally out of the will of God. And what I'm saying to you is, God has a will for you. It's coming to you in one message over and over and over again, and that is to repent. Until you get your life square with God, he's really not interested because he wants your heart more than he wants to guide you toward a career. So the first question that we all have to answer is, Am I the type of person, I guess we could begin with, because God's guidance to all human beings 
Jesus said this very clearly. This is God's message to all human beings. We're all screwed up and we need to be rescued. And Jesus said that the Holy Spirit is telling everyone, come to my son and believe in him. So if you're here today and you have yet to trust in Jesus Christ, you haven't recognized him and entrusted your life to him as the one who could rescue you uh, from yourself, basically, uh, then I, I know for sure God's will for you. Jesus said it very clearly over and over and over again. He wants you to trust him. He wants you to begin this journey that we call eternal life. And he will give you his very life, the life of God, if you would believe in him. And that's God's guidance to all human beings. But there is this question that we all need to ask. And three of the principles that I have in the trail, it's a little allegory, about 100 pages, have to do with this first question. Am I in the circle? How can I know if I'm in the circle? I need to make sure that I'm in the circle of God's prescribed will before I start getting specific. And I need to be living in community because I'm too sinful and I'm too stupid and I'm too delusional that I will kid myself and I will think I'm living within the circle of God's prescribed will. But anybody close to me would be saying, dude, are you kidding me? That's not the way you love your wife. Quit worrying about where you should eat lunch and start loving her. I do believe four of these principles that come from very familiar verses that when you're reading for the first time, you go, wow, that's really a guidance verse. Uh, those have to do with answering the second question. And the second question is, what is God's personal and specific will for me? What is God's personal and specific will for me? What I'm telling you is that I do believe with all my heart that it's possible to live with confidence. I disagree with the circle crowd. I disagree with those who say that our loving Father just wants us to hang out, read the Word, do what it says, and not worry about where we live and what career we choose and, and, and uh, what path we should take in life. I'm a father. I know a father's heart. I care about the choices that my children make. I want them to make good choices, and I want to help them make good choices. just makes sense that God the Father would want to guide us in the same way. One of those principles has to do with both the circle and the dot. It is the principle that comes from Psalm 119, beginning at verse 105. Psalm 119, beginning at verse 105. It is, there are 176 verses in Psalm 119. It's really interesting how Psalm 119 came about. We know from reading from the internal evidence of Psalm 119 that this is written by a young man who is imprisoned. And he is imprisoned unfairly. It's been an, it's been, there's an injustice that was done for, to him. And he finds himself in prison, probably under one of the evil kings of the, southern, of the southern kingdom of Judah. 
So there is an evil king. He is a righteous man living for Yahweh, the God of Israel. And there is an unrighteous king. And for some reason, he ticks off the unrighteous king. And he is in prison. And it's not just. And he, it's been unfair. And this young man dedicates himself to understanding all that the word of God means to him. So I'm sure if you've been a Christian for a while, you know that Psalm 119 is all about the word of God and how dear it is to him. He uses eight or nine different Hebrew words to describe the word of God. And to help him remember these, it was made to be memorized. So to help him memorize this, every eight verses begin with one Hebrew letter, with one of the Hebrew letters out of the alphabet. That is also how we can tell the themes of each of the verses. In Psalm 119, Psalm 119, verses 105 to 112, they all begin with the, the Hebrew letter noon, which we'd think of as in. And, and this was made to be memorized. The Hebrew children would memorize this, so they would, they would understand that God's word was important to them. So this is a young man, unjustly put into prison, and he is writing on these subjects and how the word of God informs these subjects. And... Psalm 119, 105 through 112, he talks about the circle, but I also believe he talks about the dot. I think that Psalm 119 is one of the most important passages on God's word in all of scripture. I've preached this, I bet, 50 times. Every single time I, I talk about this, someone comes to me and says, wow, this has opened up my eyes to the guidance of God. And that's my prayer, that this one simple sentence that I'm going to teach you at the end of our time together would help you live with the confidence that you are not only in the circle, but that God is guiding you to the dot of his good and perfect will. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says that when we give our life to God in response to his mercies, then God leads us in such a way that we will live out his good and perfect will. That's what he says. So don't be afraid of discovering God's will. Do be afraid of the hocus pocus sometimes of the living dot to dot crowd. Psalm 119, 105. I want to begin by looking at 106 through 112. 106 through 112 give us an idea of what the circle is all about. Uh, 106 through 112, it's answering the question, not what is God's personal and specific will for me, but the first one, the first question we can answer from this is, am I the type of Christian who would recognize God's guidance? Am I the type of believer that God would have something to say to me beyond, hey, this is what I want you to do first before we decide whether or not you should take this career. Whether you take this career or not, it's going to be real important to me, says God, that you be this type of person that I'm guiding. 
Psalm 119, verse 106. Remember, this is a man who's suffering terribly. I have vowed and solemnly sworn to keep your just regulations. The way I would picture this, and this comes out of one of the other principles, is that this is a young man, a young follower of uh, Yahweh, the God of Israel. Uh, this is, he is a young man who is all in for God. We would put it in terms in our time, are you all in for Jesus? Are you the person that you have said, are you that Christian that you said to Jesus Christ, man, I am all in. In response to your mercy, I want, man, I have just, this is the trajectory of my life. Because that's one of God's main agendas with us. He knows that the place of blessing is to be all in as a follower of Jesus Christ. So the first indicator that this man is the type of follower of God who could receive God's guidance is even in prison, going through tough times, he says, I have vowed to follow you. I'm all in for God. Verse, verses, verse 107 Verse 107, I am suffering terribly, O Lord, revive me with your word. So this is, a, this is a young man who lives expectantly. One of the primary barriers that I've seen for Christians out of the circle crowd to, uh, to live with the confidence that there is a dot for them concerning a career, concerning a school, considering whom they should marry, considering where they should live. It's because they just don't expect it to happen. This man's living expectantly. He goes, hey, you're God. You're in my life. I I'm, I'm waiting for your word to come to me. And, and if it shows up, I'm not going to say, sorry, I'm a very, very conservative Christian. We don't believe in trying to do all of that mysterious stuff. I'm just going to read my Bible and have a quiet time. <laughs> Nothing wrong with the quiet time. I have one every morning. I, I'm a journaling animal. But... I understand that that is all preparing my heart for a day when my God will show up. He doesn't want me to have a quiet time to check it off. He wants me to have a quiet time to walk with him. So this young man is living expectantly. In 108, very, very important truth, this guy is teachable. Look what he says in 108. Oh, Lord, please accept the free will offerings of my praise. So I'm worshiping you even in prison. This guy's a lot like Paul was when he was in prison. Teach me your regulations, which is just another way of saying your word. Teach me. See, one of the problems we have as we mature in Christ is we become unteachable. We have already made up our mind about things. So if God has something new to teach us, something new to reveal to us, we would miss it because it doesn't go with our preconceived, presuppositional categories. 
Well, that's not what you would say. Why? Well, because I'm not in that crowd that believed that you would say that. Even if God says it, I'm not going to believe it because I have become unteachable. The constant problem in the stream that I swim in of conservative Bible churches, and I am, I'm a conservative Christian in my view of the Word of God, but so many times I'll have to look over that crowd, not so much anymore, but when I first came to Church of the Open Door, and I knew I'd be teaching something that was a little more radical than they'd ever heard before, not because I wanted to be radical, but because the Word of God is radical. And I would have to say to them, okay, I'm going to tell you something here. <laughs> and then all roll our eyes, okay, here we go. Ed's, getting, Ed's going, you know, he's going to get loose. Here we go. <laughs> but I wanted to prepare them. I said, I'm going to tell you something from the book of Hosea. And I want you to listen to me and ask the question, is what Ed is teaching True. Don't ask the question, have I ever heard this before? The have I ever heard this before Christian isn't going to be guided any more than a couple of years. I've got my commentaries on the shelf. I listen to my Bible teachers. I know what I believe. Don't confuse me with any fresh relationship with Jesus Christ. So this uh, young man is living expectantly. Uh, he's teachable. Verses 109 and 110, he's trusting. The trajectory of his life is uh, that he is all in for God. He's going to live expectantly. He is teachable and he is trusting. 109 and 110, my life is in continual danger, but I do not forget your law. The literal Hebrew is that my life is in my hands and it's balancing neck. I can barely hold it together. Even in these extreme circumstances, I am not going to forget your law. I'm, but forget means I'm not going to act as if it isn't true. The wicked lay a trap for me, but I do not wander from your precepts. Here's what he's saying. He's saying to God, even though, and this is one of the big problems in discovering God's will, when I begin to live a life that I never thought I would live, and by the way, that's all of us. That's all of us. There's no person who's been walking with Christ for 10, 20, 30, 40 years and says, you know, this is just about the way I had it planned out when I first met Jesus. It just all went, geez, whew. So one of the big crises of faith is when my life doesn't look like I thought it was going to look. One of the, uh, the most courageous communities at Church of the Open Door are these uh, ladies uh, that my wife Judy pours her life into. She has a community called His Alone. And these are women who are spiritually single. Most of them have been abandoned uh, by husbands living as single moms. And what I just love about these ladies, I, I want to hang out with them. Um, I, I know sometimes it even gets kind of weird. They'll go, is Ed going to be there? Yeah, he's going to be there. He likes you guys. I want to be with him because 
they make me more trusting. I mean, I look at their life and their lives are so hard. And they still trust in God. And then finally, and this has a lot to do with the circle, is that this young man is grounded, 111 and 112. I claim your rules, your word as my permanent possessions, for they give me joy. This man has a long-standing relationship with God's word. He is grounded in God's word. You can't claim what you don't know. And so many times you find people seeking God's will. They know nothing about their Bible. They're not living in community. They're just, they're, they don't have that many receptors. They don't have that many faith muscles because they haven't tried this stuff out and they don't even know it. Become very vulnerable to somebody turning them sideways. And I am determined to obey your statutes at all times to the very end. So this is a young man who has already answered the question, am I the type of follower of God who could recognize his will? Well, of course he is. Look at him. He's all in for God. He, he lives expectantly. He expects God to show up in his life. He's teachable. If God the Holy Spirit through community or through the word wanted to change his mind, he could change his mind. He's trusting no matter what the circumstances are. And he's grounded. In Psalm 105, there is the dot verse. Psalm 105. I'm sorry, 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to walk by and a light to illumine my path. Your word is a lamp to walk by and a light to illumine my path. This is where the specific guidance, there's no way that he isn't talking about specific guidance here. A light to walk by. It is in their culture back then, that would be a small bowl. A small bowl that had oil in it and a floating wick. And they would keep this small light next to their bed. So if they're getting up in the middle of the night, you, they would pull that out and you wouldn't stumble over anything. And you could, you know, like if you, if you had to go to the restroom, you could make it to the restroom. If you wanted a drink of water, you could make it without tripping over stuff. I just did this last night. I was in the hotel room and uh, I was drinking, I don't know, eight, nine cups of coffee last night at the Kilns thing. And... Um, Suddenly, about 2 o'clock in the morning, uh, I needed something to guide my steps. <laughs> and I had my iPhone next to me, so I just turned it on, and it gave a little glow, and I was like, okay, there we go. There we go. There's the door. Doink. It's all set. But there is a, another application, the light. So we have the light was a torch. The light was typically a torch that they would light, and this would be what they would take like if you were visiting someone at night or you were going somewhere at night, you would take your torch with you and it would illuminate the path. And you could see out far ahead enough to know that you were on the right path. So I was thinking about this. You know, iPhone has this too. I wonder if the guys who made the iPhone had read Psalm 119. But we got this thing, right? We use this all the time. When we're just using this, 
that's the lamp to my feet. When we're using this, that's the torch to light my way. And when you study these in context in other passages, you realize that the lamp is always used to describe that next step and the torch in other places where that's used is to talk about the general like direction far enough down the road that you know that's where God wants you to go. Here's what I believe the psalmist is saying in 119, 105. Now that I am sure, see, uh, the circle has to do not with what I know about God, but what God knows about me. Does that make sense? God knows that I'm one who would receive his guidance. And so he is going to guide me. And the way he's going to guide me is that he's going to show me the next step, and I'm going to have the general direction of where I should go. He's always going to show me. I'm 64 years old. And from the time I look back on my life, and God always had shown me. It might have taken some time to figure it out, but he had always shown me the next step. And he had always shown, he's always shown Judy and me where the next direction. We're, we're dealing with a big decision right now in our life. And we're claiming this. We're taking it one step at a time, and we're asking God to give us that direction. When I first read this, I immediately recognized what this means because I lived it. Here's a picture of a fireman, a fireman for the Fulton Hotshots. And this guy looks now the way I looked then, <laughs> when I was much younger. I was a fireman for the U.S. Forest Service. And we were on a fire in the Kern Canyon, so we just want to keep, notice that guy's wearing a headlamp. We're on a fire in the Kern Canyon. Kern Canyon is straight up and down. And the way a fire goes in the canyon is, during the day you have up canyon winds, so you always get down at, on this end of the canyon and you fight the fire. We put, we put a line in that day and we backfired it. And that night they flew us back on top of Kern Canyon and we were going to bring a fire line down the other side of the fire because at night the canyon winds go the other way. And we were going to bring a fire down the fire line. So if we could go back to that other picture, you could see how we were feeling. How we were feeling. And I was the lead shovel on the Fulton Hot Shots. And I had what's called the, the hot spotting crew. And we were the ones that locate the line, the fire line. And we were the ones that put a little scratch line in. It was all in grass and light brush. But the wild oats were about six or seven feet high. And it was, we were way up at the top of the canyon, and we were going to come down that steep canyon, and uh, somebody was coming behind us to fire it out. And there was this man who was going to lead us down. I still remember his name's Doug Schultz. I have no idea where he is today, but he's been in sermons all over the world. <laughs> and Doug Schultz was, uh, was more seasoned. You might say he was my discipler, one of our disciplers. And Doug said to me, he said, Ed, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to locate your line, and I want you to walk to my light. I want you to walk to my light. And we did that all night long. And it was about, most of the time, it was about from here to the back of, of this aisle right here. About 30, 40 feet. All night long. And Doug would say, walk to my light. And he said, don't veer left or right. Whatever you do, don't veer left or right. 
So we put that line in all night long. We always knew the, de- the next step, and we always knew the direction. And he would say, walk to me. And, and we were getting fed up. We were getting fed up with Doug. We're all, we could put this, we could put this line in in half the time. What's he waiting for? Let's just get this line down, get to the bottom, get to the river, and we're done. All night long, walk to my light, careful, walk to my light. And then we would walk to his light and we'd stand there. Just waiting in the dark. And you know the way 19-year-old guys are. Why can't we? Okay. Doug said to wait. Come on, Ed. No, Doug said to wait. Okay. All night long. We got to the bottom the next morning. And now you can show the, the next picture, if you would, please. And we got down to that river, and we looked up, and we saw that. We were right at the top of that cliff. All night long. What a picture that is in my mind of Psalm 119, 105. God always, we were always, we always knew the next step, and we knew the direction. We knew, we knew with confidence where to go to next. We had the lamp to our feet, and we had the torch to light the way. Next morning, we had this big raw-boned Native American uh, Cherokee guy from Oklahoma on our crew. And we were just down at the bottom of the river hanging out, going, woo-hoo. So, and we, we were watching him fire our line. And this guy jumped out on a rock in the river and looked up. And um, let me paraphrase what he said. <laughs> wow, or whatever. <laughs> and we looked up at that, and we realized that all night long, we were about 10 to 20 feet from certain death. Christian, do you understand that that's the way God guides? The principle that I get out of this, that's one of the chapters, I give a key word for each of the principles, and then I give a, um, a sentence. So the, the, the key word is protection. When we're, living within the, uh, when we're living within the circle of God's prescribed will, and we are trusting him enough, we've already answered the question, uh, God knows... Uh, about me, that I'm the type of Christian who would receive his guidance. And I'm looking for the dot. I need to realize, even though I believe that there is a dot, that I am being protected by what God reveals. How many of you would say, if you've been a Christian for 30, 10 years, five years even, uh, that it would have been good for you to know everything in front of you? Be like one of those bugs flying into light. This is going to happen? I'm so happy that in 1971, when I became a Christian, God didn't tell me in 2000, uh, now, you know, in about 30 years, you're going to get leukemia. It's going to be real hard. They just kept guiding me a little bit at a time. And what I get out of that is that God's will is a flashlight, not a crystal ball. Beware of the hocus-pocus Christians. Move to Omaha. (laughs) Detroit. (laughs) Our place in this is to walk to the edge of the darkness and wait. Walk to the edge of the darkness and wait. 
We should trust God to care for us and protect us from all that we don't know. When he's guiding us, he has all the facts. We don't. He will always give us the next step. He will always show us the path. Walk to the edge of the darkness and wait. I know when I speak to a group like this that there are some of you who feel like you're right at the edge of the darkness. I'm just telling you from personal experience that if you would walk to the edge of the darkness, if you wait, you might have something going on with your children. It just seems like it's never going to get better. You're just staying faithful to God. Wait. He's going to show you the way. It might be your finances. I, I don't know what it is. Let me just give you one closing picture of this, of walking to the edge of the darkness and wait. I resigned my commission in the Army. Judy and I loved our life in Ansbach, Germany. And I resigned my commission in the Army, uh, feeling absolutely certain that God was guiding us to go to Dallas Seminary. We showed up at Dallas Seminary in the summer, and we had no money. I remember we used every penny we had for the gas to drive to Dallas. A very nice Christian man let me rent a house from him in Garland, Texas. And rather than before, I didn't have a job yet, so rather than me having to work for it, he was letting me landscape this place. We had two children at that time, and we had just landed in Dallas, and I was putting together a railroad tie retaining wall in, the, in our backyard. And Judy, my bride, had come to me and, uh, that morning, and she said, are you going down to the seminary? Are you going down to the seminary? We need to get your GI Bill. Back then, we had the GI Bill, and we were going to live off that until I found a job. And I said, yeah, I'm going to go down this morning, and uh, I'll get my GI Bill. They say that they're in. So I went down to Dallas Seminary, and I stood in line for the veterans, you know, whatever it was, K through Z. And I walked up, and I said, hi, I'm uh, Ed Underwood. I'm here to get my GI Bill. And the lady looked up, and then she looked up again, looked down, looked up again. She said, I'm sorry, Ed, there's just... There's no record of your GI Bill here. And I had been in the, in the Army long enough to know when they screw up paperwork, oh, man, I mean, they screw it up. So I'm driving all the way back out to Garland from downtown Dallas. I'm thinking, what am I going to tell that green-eyed beauty who asked me, is it absolutely necessary that we leave Ansbach? I have so many friends. I love the Army. Are you sure God wants us to go to Dallas? Oh, yeah, honey, sure. I'm at 100%. What am I going to say to her? And I was so preoccupied. She came back, and she came out in the backyard, and she looked up at me. And every husband knows this. Look, your wife looks at you in a way like shaking her head, and please tell me what I want to hear. And she said, so you got your GI Bill? And I said, you know, honey, I, I didn't. Um, there's a problem. Eddie, what are we going to do? We don't have money for food. I know, I know, I know, I know. Um, and I just said, here's what we're going to do. We looked out on, that, on the plains of Dallas. It's 105 degrees. Next to that railroad tie retaining wall. And I held her hand, and we got on our knees, and I said, God, you have got to show up here. You just, you have got to show up here. We are going to trust you. 
But we need you, and we need you now. I said, sweetie, let's just go in, get a glass of iced tea. Our plan was that we had some canned goods. We were going to take them back to the grocery store and tell them we didn't really need them, that we bought the wrong thing so we could get some cash to buy the kids something for breakfast. That was our one and only plan. I guess our plan was to lie so we could get some money, but that was my plan. Walked back into the living room. Judy was pouring the iced tea. Got a knock on the door. And it was a guy I'd never met before. And he said, hi, are you Ed Underwood? And I said, well, yeah, matter of fact, I am. He said, hey, um, this guy's name was Glenn. He said, uh, I'm Glenn. I go to DTS too. I'm a veteran. They had misfiled your, um, your GI Bill with mine. And since I live in the neighborhood, I just thought I'd bring it out. One of the principles that I talk about in the book is that God's signature on events is timing. So I like, and Judy, I were, yee-haw, wow, we to go, God, way to go. <laughs> the whole time in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, but it really was there. You know the way we did. Another knock on the door. Ring, rung the doorbell this time. I go, and it's a Western Union guy. That's how old I am. It was a Western Union guy. They would bring you telegrams. <laughs> and he said, are you Ed Underwood? And I'm thinking about my prayer. I'm, I'm thinking suddenly everybody's really interested in who I am. <laughs> I said, I am. He said, would you please sign here? So I signed. He handed me an envelope. And I looked on the outside of the envelope, and it was from Frank and Cindy Grubbs, friends of ours who were in our Bible study in Ansbach, Germany, we hadn't seen them for two years because they had been uh, transferred to the 25th Infantry Division in Hawaii. Hadn't seen nor heard from them in two years. And I opened up the letter and something fell out. And it said, hi, Ed and Judy. This is Frank and Cindy. Uh, we were at a, at a prayer time with our Officers Christian Fellowship group here in uh, Hawaii. And we were thinking about our time in Germany we just wanted you to know we love you. And I thought, well, that's kind of cool. I get on my knees, I pray, I get my GI Bill check, and the timing is perfect, and, and, and I get this nice letter from my friends. Judy had reached down to pick up what was on the floor, and her hands were trembling, and she was crying. She said, Eddie, she handed me a cashier's check for $2,000. Think about it. They decided to write the check. It went somewhere in Western Union. The thing's misfiled. This guy happens, and it seems all random. It is not random. I got on my knees. I begged God to please, please show up. Don't tell me God doesn't guide his people. Don't live without absolute confidence that you are in. God's good and perfect will. Father, I want to thank you for the privilege of preaching these truths for the first time here at Antioch. And I want to pray, Father, that you would give these men and women of faith the courage to first ask the question, am I the type of believer that would recognize your will? And to hear very clearly, if there's a need for repentance, that's your will for them. But I also pray, Father, that 
they would live with the expectation that you do show up, you do guide, you are powerful, and you are good. Praise your holy name.